Hello, listeners, and welcome to the Sailing and Cruising the East Coast of the United States podcast. I'm Bela Musitz. And I'm Mike Wasserman. Hey, this is our podcast about sailing and cruising the East Coast of the United States. And Mike, today we have two great guests, Jamie and Keith Pomeroy. They've been cruising and living aboard their 40-foot catamaran for over 15 years. So you can imagine they have lots of stories and great advice. 15 years, that's amazing, Bela. But it sounds like you've known these two for the uh, for a while. What's the story? Yeah, so I have. So I first met Keith and Jamie when uh, we were both training ski patrollers in skiing and toboggan handling skills. So we were both part of an uh, organization within the National Ski Patrol uh, that did a lot of training and education of ski patrollers. And that was way back in the 1990s. And uh, so I used to see them every winter, uh, a few times a year, because we'd be doing clinics together and stuff. And then I remember one winter asking somebody, hey, where's Keith? I haven't seen him this season. And the reply was, Jamie and Keith sold everything, bought a sailboat, and headed south. And I said, holy smokes, I didn't even know they were sailors. And uh, what happened was about nine months ago, somehow through some other friends, we reconnected on Facebook. And uh, and then catched, I caught up with them a little bit, uh, kind of back and forth. And uh, I said, gee, these, they would be great guests for the podcast. Uh, so I invited them on. And, you know, we had a great chat. Uh, it was kind of a long one, as you can imagine, when some old friends get together. So we broke it into two episodes. And so what we're going to listen to today is uh, part one and part two uh, will be out soon. But hey, Mike, before we dive into the conversation with Jamie and Keith, I want to ask you a question. So what do you think about our logo? Well, Bela, our logo. Hmm. Do you really want my German style, very direct feedback or maybe not? Uh, yeah, yeah. Lay it on me, Mike. Give me the direct feedback German style. Mm, I think it looks very amateurish, and I, I think it could be a lot better. Excellent. You know, I feel the same thing. And you know why it's amateurish? Why? Because I did it. <laughs> it, was a, <laughs> it was a picture that I took, and I just put some lettering on it and uh, name of the podcast, and that was it. And I clearly do not have any graphic design skills. After all, I'm an engineer, and those two things typically don't go together. Uh, so I was thinking it'd be a good idea to sort of get a better looking logo. And uh, I was hoping that maybe some of our listeners uh, have some graphic design skills, or maybe they know of someone uh, who has some good graphic design skills, and they could recommend them to us. So we'd really like to try to get a new logo. We'd love to have a listener or someone that a listener recommends be involved in that process. So, you know, reach out to us. Uh, our email is sailing the east. That's all one word, sailing the east at gmail.com. And uh, let's see if we can get a new, more inspiring logo designed. What do you think, Mike? Yeah, sounds good, Bailey. I hope I didn't offend you with my very direct feedback. But um, yeah, getting a little listener help with this. We got a little bit of a budget, right? So we can maybe uh, uh, work out a deal, huh? Yeah, we sure can. Yep. Willing to throw some, some money at it. Yep. So, all right. But. I'm really fascinated about your old friends, Jamie and Keith. Let's jump right into the discussion. Hi there. Hey, there you are. Hey, how are you? I'm well, thanks. Good. Man, long time no see. 
Yes, sir. That is very true. Uh, you want to do it this way? Is this going to work all right? Yeah, the sound quality is good. So the main thing is that Jamie is mixing us drinks right now. I would mix you a drink, fellow, but it's going to be handed to you. What do you mean, us? <laughs> somehow, somehow, I feel like I'm missing out on something. <laughs> well, uh, it's it's an hour earlier here, so uh, it's definitely five o'clock. As the song says, it's five o'clock somewhere. Absolutely correct. Well, I can see that you're on your boat. Uh, yes, I can see that you're uh, looks like at anchor or a mooring. We are on our mooring. Okay. And where is that geographically? Uh, we are in Elephant Bay, which is on the north side of Water Island, uh, south side of St. Thomas, U.S. Virgin Islands. Wow, very nice. And I can I can see that the weather behind you looks quite nice, sunny. Horrible. Yes. Yeah. Well, I will tell you here, we had our actually our first major snowstorm of the year uh, last night and this morning. Uh, major meaning, I think it's about five inches, so it's not all that big. Yeah. That's enough. Uh, and uh, yesterday morning, uh, it was uh, minus five at the house. And you're going to get another blast of that tomorrow morning, aren't you? Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's that's January for you in the Northeast. Correct. Yeah. So I was trying to remember when, when, you know, the last time we sort of interacted and it must've been in the eighties. Is that your recollection? Back when no. we, back when oh, we no. were both, uh, you know, teaching skiing and toboggan handling skills for the national ski patrol. Uh, it would have been a bit later than that. We came back from Colorado in 1997, and that's actually when we got involved with the Eastern Division. Oh, okay. So it was it was after I got back from California then. Got it. I, oh, yes. Yeah. So, so I, I was... And then... Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah, I was going to say, I, I thought it was before we left for California when I was running uh, that program for the Eastern Division of the Ski Patrol. Uh, but yeah, I guess we, it was after I got back from California. Yeah. Right. We got involved with Ski Patrol in 1986. And then in 1991, we moved to Colorado and Ski Patrol there out, out there as pros for my um, patrol for seven years at, at Vail when we were in Colorado. And then we came back in 97. Yeah. And that's when we got with the East Coast end yeah. of it. Ah, very nice. Very nice. Cool. Yeah. Well, I'm, and I'm, then we, I'm still doing it. <laughs> Yeah, good for you. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, wow. Wow. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, it's it's over fifty years, so I don't know how many wow. more years I got left in me, but uh, I I think my and still at Gore. Uh, I'm sorry. Say that again. And at Gore. Yes. Yep. Okay. So that's right. In good memory. Yeah. When we came yep. back from California, I joined the Gore Patrol, and uh, so I've been there tw close to twenty five years now. So very good. Yeah. So you're in the Virgin Islands. Yeah. And, you know, so, so here's, here's my sort of last memory, right? I remember, you know, interacting with you guys, ski, ski stuff, and then coming back a following winter and hearing Keith and Jamie bought a boat and they left and they headed south. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, that's pretty much the way it went. Um, we uh, we were lucky enough to bail out in 2008. Um, 
we we sold our our house and property just before the crash and a month later two months later we bought a boat and yeah. in cleveland ohio of all places and uh, took it south yeah so, so we've, we've been on it for 13 years now same boat full time yes sir wow and and so did you have a sailing background before you guys took that big leap Yes. Um, I grew up uh, visiting relatives on Pontusic Lake in Lanesboro, Massachusetts, Pittsfield area. Um, you know my aunt and uncle, Bud and Laura. Um, oh, Tucker. I didn't know they were your aunt and uncle. <laughs> yes, he was my mother's brother. Oh. Um, so I grew up there. Laura, Laura entered later on. Yes. Um, and then when we came back from Colorado, so, so we did small boats on the lake. Uh, Jamie grew up up in the uh, Watertown, New York area, Adams, New York, and had access to Lake Ontario and did some, some boating there, uh, some sailing there. Uh, and then uh, when we came back from Colorado, part of the reason we came back was so that we could uh, enjoy Bud and Laura's boat, they had gone down to Groton, Connecticut, and were sailing uh, Morganot Island 41 out of that area. So we we um, buddied up with them for 12 years before we got the bug to get our own and move on. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so a, a lot of people talk about doing what you guys did, right? Living the dream, right? Cashing, you know, selling everything, buying a boat and and taking off. And, and particularly with the large rise of YouTube channels and everyone watching those things and seeing how much fun it is. So tell me a little bit about how you guys made that decision. So I'm going to, I'm going to interrupt. I'm going to kick in here. Um, I believe that Keith had a, had a five-year plan and um, it took him five years for me to get on that plan. (laughs) He was working it hard when we were sailing with uh, with Laura, and um, and it took me a little while because I still get seasick, mm. and I got seasick a lot when I was sailing with Laura. There was a little uh, diesel smell in her boat, and it was a monohull. Yeah. So we started to do some chartering. We did a couple of weeks here and there in the uh, Bahamas and in Florida, and um, we did that on a catamaran, catamarans, and I said you know if you want to do this uh catamaran might be a good idea well it took about three and a half years from then for him to make it happen and then we you know the the catalyst was when our dog died Mm. we were going to get another dog and we're like and he said well we're at four years (laughs) i said he said yeah four years i said oh okay well i guess we better we better um, list our house, and uh, and so we got lucky, and it sold sold rapidly, and we started seriously looking for boats. Yeah, yeah. So, um, what was if you reflect back on making that decision and 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 sort of taking that leap? What sort of lessons did you learn from there? What would you do different this time, or what advice would you give someone else who's sort of thinking about doing something like that? I don't know that I would do anything different. Um, I think the big thing for us was that we had been a, a little nomadic, uh, you know, as, as far as uh, we met in college and then we came back to Western Mass where I was from, uh, went to um, Colorado for seven years, came back to Western Mass, 
Um, so we had moved around a bit. We didn't have uh, real strong roots that we had to worry about. Um, and uh, we just even looking at the um, tax scenarios back then, we didn't feel that we got our money's worth out of town taxes and all that and uh, really thought that we could do it a, a better way. Um, and we do have the uh, adventure gene in us. So we like to go and and, uh, you know, push the boundaries a little bit. So that really played into the scenario as far as what do you want to do down the line? Yeah. Uh, when, when we jumped on the boat, uh, we were 45 years old. Um, and at that time cruising, we were some of the younger set, uh, later on, as you said, after, uh, you know, 2000, I don't know, 13, 15, uh, we started getting a, a number of 20-year-olds out here in the YouTube channels and all that. but uh, And that's made a, a very different dynamic as far as the age groups that are looking at this. Yeah. But, yeah. you know, that, but there's a lot of things that play into it. Um, you know, one of the things that we didn't have to worry about was uh, we don't have children. So we don't have to worry about the children, grandchildren scenario, which yes. a lot of people... You know, that's a major, major thing for people. And I totally understand that we are now being affected by our nieces and nephews, but it's not quite as tight and we're not, we can still move around and, you know, it, it's not grandchildren. So it's, right. it's a little, we're, we're a little more free. Sure. I think. No, I, I understand that very well. Uh, we, we have three grandchildren. So, you know, the oldest is seven and, uh, there you go. Yeah. All girls. So, uh, I, I remember be, before we had uh, grandkids, both of our sons were married and, you know, they weren't rushing to have kids. So I remember one day talking to Elaine and saying, gee, maybe we ought to move south a little bit, you know, because my folks lived in North Carolina and we sort of liked it down there. It was, you know, they still had seasons, but it wasn't as brutal as up here. And, and then our older son had their first child. And Elaine said, you can live wherever you want, <laughs> but I'm staying right here. <laughs> so, exactly. So, yep. Yeah. So interesting. So when you guys said, okay, we're going to do this. So in your brain was, we're going to live on a boat. And, and so when you went to purchase your boat, what sorts, what sort of things did you look for? you know, that sort of the weekend cruiser is not going to look for. So from a liveaboard perspective, what were the, you know, top five things that were important to you guys? Well, obviously the living space is a, is a biggie. Um, and we knew that we were going to go back to work and we were going to travel around. Uh, you know, the, the framework we had was we would come back to new England every summer and work and then go down to Florida and perhaps the Bahamas for the winters mm. and then come back. Uh, we, we have done that once, but that has certainly not been our major motivation. Yeah. Um, so the catamaran makes a wonderful platform for, uh, living space and posting up for a while and hanging out and working someplace, um, much more comfortable. We feel that a monohull obviously, uh, with the living space scenario. Um, so since we had already chartered on a couple, uh, we had an idea what kind of space we wanted. Um, but you really have to get out there and get on them to figure out what works for you and what doesn't work for you. Um, you know, uh, and it's funny that you ask that because a, a couple of things that we had pretty much hard that we would like to have did, just didn't happen. 
um, you know, as far as we, we have engines underneath our bunks. We have a, a 2001 South African catamaran, 40 foot, mm-hmm. uh, and the engines are underneath the bunks. Today's boats, the engines are out in the sugar scoops and not underneath the bunks. So you don't have to worry about that extra heat sleeping at night, which is a pretty big concern for me. Yeah. Um, but it ends up that the pluses to that are that if we're underway sailing, I can pop open that bunk and I can work on that engine if I need to right. change a belt, change an impeller. Um, if you have it in the sugar scoop, you really can't do that while you're underway. Um, you know, that, that design is so that the term charter business can, you can be on the mooring at night and they can send somebody out to fix your boat so you can go someplace else tomorrow. Right. Um, you know, those kinds of trade-offs you don't know before you get out there and start doing it. Boy, that's, uh, yeah, that's really well said. You know, you, you really do need to go out and be on some boats and live on them for a week and see what works for you. And just what works for you may be different than what works for other people. And the wonderful Correct. thing is there's so many different types of boats, so many different designs, right? You can, and, fu- you and can that, find we, something that's going to be close for you. Right. But, and that creates a big stumbling block for a lot of people also. Um, I had listened to your podcast with Joe, um, couple of weeks ago was it part yes one part two yep uh you know and he does adventure cruising yeah um you know he's got a, a very very different boat from us but that's a, a great way to get on a boat and uh figure out if it works for you or not is to cruise with somebody that knows the boat and you can ask them the questions or you can you know bare boat charter or term charter with somebody yeah um, there's a lot of ways to do it and spend a week or two weeks with somebody and figure out what works for you and make an opinion. Yep. Yeah. And, and what works for you is the important thing. Just because it's right. the latest and greatest or the, or the most popular one on YouTube is meaningless. <laughs> meaningless. You got that right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Very uh, nice. You know, is, is to not be in a hurry when you're buying, you know, when you buy a boat, don't be in a hurry. Don't, you know, don't buy the first thing that comes along. You know, take your time, do some research, do a lot, a lot of research and get out there. If you can get on the boat, the type of boat that you're buying, then all better. Yeah. Yeah. Now, it sounds like you guys, did I hear you say you bought yours in Cleveland, Ohio? Yes. <laughs> yes. And then you... That isn't that, did, isn't did, that where most catamarans get bought in <laughs> yeah, Cleveland, Ohio? Yeah. Particularly ones that are made in South Africa. <laughs> yes. Yes. It was an awesome trip across the Erie Canal, though. So you guys came came the Erie Canal down the Hudson through New York City that way? Correct. Yes. Oh, very nice. Very nice. And and so do you have like a what you would consider a base of operation for when you guys are on the boat? Well, um, I'll, I'll give you a real quick timeline. For the last 10 years, yes, St. Thomas has been our base of operations. Um, when we came down in the fall of 2008, uh, we, we buddy boated with another couple on a catamaran, um, and came down through the ICW to, um, uh, North Carolina, South Carolina border, and then jumped down to Florida and, and they turned left and went to the Bahamas and we turned right and went to the Florida Keys. And we went to work for two years in the Florida Keys. Mm-hmm. Uh, at the end of that two years, um, we went to the Eastern Caribbean and down to Grenada and spent a storm season in Grenada. Uh, and we met a couple, three different couples, 
that were in Grenada hiding from from storm season and said, just come back up to St. Thomas. You don't have to go all the way back to Florida. We did have our jobs in Florida waiting for us if we wanted them. Um, and St. Thomas is on the way. So we came to St. Thomas and uh, found work very quickly. Uh, the, the general saying here is if you can show up on time and mostly sober, you got work. <laughs> so we qualify pretty well on that. Yeah. And, and it's the U.S. Virgin Islands, so the whole working as a foreigner, all that type of stuff is not an issue. And English is our main language. Yeah. And, you know, it doesn't, you know, Puerto Rico, you can certainly go and work also. That's U.S. territory. Yes. But it, you got to have a better Spanish. Yeah. Yeah. Very nice. And so uh, have you guys been, is it pretty easy to find work? I mean, I, I know you said sober and on time sure. and you got a job. Um, but you know, there's sort of different levels of jobs and different types of jobs and, and have that, has that, has that always worked well for you guys? Um, it's worked fairly well for us. Uh, when, when we went to the Florida Keys, uh, I was able to get a job while we were still up in Miami, uh, working for an engineering firm. And, uh, Jamie, when we got down to the Florida Keys, Jamie was able to, uh, burrow herself into a company that she wanted to learn. Uh, which she um, was a gardener, and uh, we owned um, greenhouses, a nursery, for a number of years. And that's what she did, managing greenhouses in, in Colorado. Um, so that wasn't going to translate well to being on the boat. So um, she decided when we got onto the boat that she was going to do HVAC, uh, refrigeration and air conditioning on boats. And ah. she was able to company that she was able to um, internship and, yep. and work with there in, in uh, marathon, a very good company salt, uh, and then has been able to use that, uh, here. So when we first got to St. Thomas, uh, coming back up after a year off, um, she got the job first here because she had a very marketable skill, whereas I had to break into it a little bit more. Um, I actually used my captain's license when we first got here because the, the people that we had met down in Grenada uh, had connections. So um, I was able to work for a charter company for a little while and then start driving a boat uh, on a daily basis, a small ferry. Um, and then that led me into my engineering firm that I've been with now for eight years. Um, and then um, our, our main thing is, is that we try to work here um, two and a half to three and a half years, and then we take off. Uh, and go someplace else for a year and a half. And mm -hmm. that, that timeline is very, fairly specific because the busy season here is the winter months. Uh, November 1st through April 15th is our busy season in the Virgin Islands. So if we work three winters and then take off, we try to take off for two summers and one winter. So that's a year and a half. So that gets you out of here for two um, hurricane seasons. And then you come back in November, that's when everybody's got the jobs and looking for people to go to work again. Right. Um, we've been able to do that a couple of times now. Um, we broke away in 2013 and we sailed to the ABCs, uh, Aruba, Bonaire, Carousel, over to Colombia for a month. And then we went to the San Blas Islands of Panama for a year, a little over a year. And then we uh, reversed our steps and came back across northern Colombia and to Bonaire and waited for a storm system to go north and followed it and sailed right back into the Virgin Islands and went back to work in uh, fall of 2015. Um, things were slow here 2017, so we actually took off for the summer of 2017 and we went north. Uh, 
we worked in Montauk, New York for the summer, uh, both using our captain's licenses up there out of Montauk for the summer. I had a great time. Uh, again, uh, Groton, Connecticut's 15 miles due north, so we were able to see relatives, yeah. um, specifically my, my aunt, and um, borrow her car and go see other relatives. And that was a really good year to not be here in the Virgin Islands because we had two Category 5 storms come through. Uh, and so we totally missed that. Yeah. Uh, we did have to judge them when we got back down to North Carolina on our way back down. But the engineering firm that I work for, you know, gave the call and said, get your butt back down here. So we did. Yeah. And so we've been here since 2017. We had hoped to leave last year, spring of 2021. Mm. Uh, but obviously with COVID, that kind of put the kibosh on it. And so we're probably going to try to leave this spring uh, and move along uh, to get out of here for a little while. And we'll, we're still open ended on where that's going to happen. Yeah. Uh, again, your talk with Joe Hagan, you know, he did the East Coast of the U.S. because yes. the, the COVID problems. Yes. Um, so we're thinking that if, if things aren't opening back up again, we'll probably come up to the East Coast. We'll come up to Connecticut and we'll work our way back down south and maybe do another winter in the Keys. We haven't been there in, in 10 years. And uh, see what happens. Wow. Wow. That sounds great. So when you guys went up to Montauk, you, you guys took your boat up as well. Absolutely. This is our full-time house, and um, we've been in it full-time. Yeah. So when we left the Virgin Islands, if you go due north from the Virgin Islands, you'll hit New York City. Yes. Uh, we actually sailed up to Beaufort, North Carolina. It took us eight days, uh, just the two of us, and had a really good sail. Uh, and Jamie still does get seasick, so uh, we probably won't do that again, but we'll see what happens. Yeah. Um, and then, uh, just like Joe had talked to you, uh, you know, then you take a break. You go up the ICW to Norfolk. Yes. Uh, in three days in the ICW was a great change from being out in the open ocean for eight days. And then um, from Norfolk, it's a beautiful, easy day and a half uh, jump to get up into uh, the east end of Long Island and Groton. I think Joe said he had gone directly to uh, Newport, Rhode Island after North. Yeah, so, that's right. Yep. You know, same thing. That's really a nice passage over there. Not very long. Yeah. Yeah. I did a similar one uh, leaving from Florida coming up and right. uh, kind of a, a mix of uh, outside and in the ICW. Wow, Bela, this really was interesting. What an amazing start to this story. I can't wait to hear the rest of it. Um, the process to make this decision to just sell their house and buy a boat was fascinating to me um did anything about this process resonate with you yeah so the part that really struck me was they had a plan right so so they had they talk about their five-year plan and in five years they wanted to be living on a boat so it wasn't one of these things like you know you wake up one morning and at breakfast you look at each other and you say hey we're gonna sell everything and you know get, buy a boat uh it was well planned well thought out uh, they had been sailors for a long time and, uh, you know, so they knew what, what that life was like. They spent a fair amount of time doing that and, uh, they had a plan and they put a, put a dot on the calendar and they said, here's the five years. And, you know, they, uh, they set it out and they, and they went to execute on it. So I thought that was to me, one of the interesting things, um, about it. Uh, the other thing I thought that was kind kind of cool was, you know, and, and other people have talked about this, um, particularly in our other podcasts that we do about entrepreneurship. People talk about taking the first step and oftentimes taking that first step uh, is is the hardest part of the journey, because once you take the first step, the second step's easier. 
Um, so, you know, their, their first step was, you know, number one, making the plan and then starting to execute the various different, uh, steps along the way and finally selling their house, buying the boat, moving on the boat and heading South. So to me, that part was, uh, was really kind of intriguing. What, what did you find interesting, Mike? Well, you know, Bela, you know, kind of tying this together with entrepreneurship is, is an interesting way to look at it. And my sense on this is that they really did have like a business plan, right? You and I have uh, done a lot of coaching and advising of startups, right? And this is what we always say is you need to have a multiple year look forward to what your expectations are. Even if this doesn't come true, right? It gives you a way to focus your energy, to understand what resources you need, to understand um, kind of the... Um, it, it might be money, it might be a network connection, it might be um, the equipment that you need to have, but really being able to make sure that you're making the investments now that you need to make to realize success in the future. And I think that's that it really struck me that it's a lot like starting your own business, right? To make this decision, you have to know what inputs you need, right? What kind of boat, how much money, what kind of equipment. You have to know what you want to do with it in order to make that decision. So, what's going to be your day to day life back uh, going to be look like? Uh, how often are you going to need to go from place to place? Where do you think you're going to be? Um, and then what are you going to do, right? What are, how are you going to manage um, financially? How are you going to manage operationally in a safe, um, in a safe way? A contingency plan is something we always talk to, to uh, startups about, to business founders. Um, what happens if somebody gets sick? What happens if you need to get home in a hurry? These types of things. And they really put this step-by-step plan together. And it sounds like everything went smoothly, but you and I both know with a lot of startups, sometimes things don't work out as planned. Things happen. Um, but by having a plan, you have a starting point and you have a reference point and you have, sorry about the pun, an anchor, right? Um, and that's what they had. And I thought that was really, really cool. So I totally agree with your observations on this, Bela. You know, one of the things about having a plan, whether it's a business plan or a plan for life or the, a plan for the next week, is, is that you take some time to sit down and think about it. The plan, it doesn't, it's not cast in concrete, right? It's just a plan. And, and chances are, as I always used to say to my, in my entrepreneurship class, you know, the, your business will never turn out like you planned it. It will always be different. But the fact that you sat down and you thought it through is really important. And one of the key reasons why it's important is because it helps you make decisions along the way. Because along the way, you have to make all of these decisions, in the, in the sailing case, you know, do I buy this boat? Do I buy that boat? Uh, are we going north? Or are we going south? Are we going to get this piece of equipment for the boat? Or are we not going to get this piece of equipment for the boat? And it helps you make those decisions. So those decisions turn out to be at least, as I like to describe them, conscious decisions. They've been thought about. And you sort of proactively make that decision as opposed to sometimes an unconscious decision is either just a spur of the moment thing or you get backed into doing something because you didn't make a decision, <laughs> right? right? So I think that's one of the real beauties of, of having a, a thought through a plan and, and articulating it, you know, at least within your own mind, that here's how I think I'm going to accomplish this. And I think you should write it down. I think it should be written. I think it should be shared, especially in their case when it's two people and you have to communicate effectively and build this trust and shared vision and all these um, kind of softer aspects of doing this. Um, also really important. And you know, you're going to make mistakes. I mean, everybody that's older, that's our age, Bela, knows you're going to make mistakes in life. Maybe when I was a little younger, I didn't think I'd ever make some so many mistakes. Um, but when you have a plan, you can then step backward 
and see where you made a mistake. And so you can not make a mistake again. And like we tell our students, right, it's okay to make a mistake one time. You want to be a one trial learner. That is, you don't want to keep making the same mistake again and again. So that's where when you have a plan and you're sticking to your plan, if you make a mistake, you can go back, do a failure analysis, figure out why you failed and make sure that you've learned from that, that mistake. And I think that's really important in life as well. Yeah, absolutely, Mike. I couldn't agree more. What do you say? We wrap this one up? Yeah, because, you know, we have to look forward to the second part of the story. So there's a whole bunch left, I think, that keeps me on the edge of my seat. I can't wait to hear how this turns out and what they're doing now. Um, So, listeners, we hope you join us for the next episode. We hope you enjoyed this one. As always, we hope you find our conversations interesting and thought-provoking. And if you have questions about what we discussed or you have some ideas about topics we should be discussing, um, please get in touch with us. Uh, as we mentioned earlier when we were talking about help with our, our, uh, our logo, uh, our email is sailingtheeast, that's all one word, at gmail.com. And if you enjoyed the podcast, please hit that follow button on your favorite podcasting application. And if you know of someone that would make a good guest for the show, let us know. We'd love to interview them. So, you know, spring and warmer weather is around the corner, and uh, I'm looking forward to that as we have a fair amount of snow outside the window, and it is supposed to be uh, 10 below tonight. That's 10 below Fahrenheit, Michael, not 10 below centigrade. Uh, So it is going to be cold. So uh, until next time, signing off from chilly upstate New York. See you soon. Well, Bela, I hope you warm up there and get some uh, some blue sky. There's a little bit of blue sky right now here in Munster. It's about 4 uh, Celsius, which is about 40 degrees Fahrenheit, so not quite as bad here as it is there. But I wish you uh, good weather and lots of uh, uh, spring flowers on their way. From over here in Munster, Germany, auf Wiedersehen. <laughs>